Hi, this is medicine hunter Chris Killam, and you are listening to Entheo Nation with Lorna Liana. Welcome to Entheo Nation, where we feature visionaries who are pioneering the cutting edge of awakening. Psychedelic science, modern shamanism, neuroscience, new paradigm lifestyles. Get ready to harness the power of visionary states and forge reality into your wildest dreams. Beautiful tribe. This is Lorna Liana, host of Entheo Nation, where we feature experts who are pioneering the cutting edge of psychedelic science, ethnobotany, consciousness research, and visionary culture. In case you didn't know, ethnobotany is the science of studying how plants are used to make food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. Now, at face value, that sounds kind of boring, but my guest today, Chris Killam, is anything but boring. Chris leads a fascinating, adventurous life where he gets paid to travel around the world, investigate all kinds of medicinal plants, including the psychoactive ones, hang out with shamans, and trip in the jungle. Try expensing ayahuasca trip to your employer. Now, I absolutely love it when scientists embrace the unknown, that which cannot be explained by science. Chris shares with us his experience as an ayahuasca test pilot, the incredible healing he's witnessed people experience through working with this plant medicine, his far-out visions, and what it takes to be a professional medicine hunter. If you would like to receive a free transcript of this episode, it is super easy. Simply text Entheonation, that is E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. Just reply to the SMS with your best email to get access to premium content that's only available to bona fide citizens of Entheonation. If you like this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would take the time to rate and review this show in iTunes, as this will increase Entheonation's visibility in the iTunes marketplace and help get this life-changing information out to the people who need it. Now on to the show. Hello, Visionary Tribe of Entheo Nation. You are here with Lorna Liana. And today I have a fantastic guest, someone that I've admired greatly, who travels all around the world in search of medicinal plants. His name is Chris Killam, and he is also known as the Medicine Hunter. So welcome to the show today, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lorna. Happy to be on with you and your tribe out there. You know, I am so curious about what it takes to create an awesome career and professional path like yours. So I'd love if you would start off our conversation today with uh, you know, your story about how you actually became the medicine hunter. Okay, uh, I'll try to keep it real and brief. I think what it takes actually is dogged persistence, I have to say. I was very fortunate to get interested in herbs and plant medicines in my late teens. It just kind of became a little bit fascinating for me. And, and over time, working in the natural products sector, and learning from herbalists and reading probably hundreds of books and traveling, I became more and more knowledgeable and expert about medicinal plants and their uses and the traditions like Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, North American Indian herbology. Hello, Chris. Uh, you just froze up. Objects. Okay, yeah. sorry about that. You just froze really? up. So you Where mentioned it, herbology. Where... We're going to just continue on. Herbology. Okay. Uh, I don't know which part I was in, though, at that you point. Were talking uh, about the your background of yeah, studying yeah. and your passion right. for plants. Right. So how long did I freeze up? Oh, just for like two seconds. Oh, okay. So in any case, I eventually became knowledgeable enough that I became known for this. And I was invited to do a couple of projects. And the second project turned out to be wildly successful. And that really set me on a shift in my career to just doing this medicine hunting, traveling around the world, investigating 
investigating medicinal plants, spices, superfoods, uh, psychoactive agents of all different kinds, cosmetic ingredients all over the world and working with indigenous native people globally and helping to make trade links between them and in all over the world and do it in a way that's environmentally sustainable and also fair in terms of wage and other working practices. So it's a big kind of complex activity and, and I've been doing medicine hunting uh, for a living now for about, I guess it's been a little over 20 years. So it's been a pretty fun ride. Pretty fun. Wow, I can imagine. So in your travels then you must meet a lot of traditional herbalists and uh, herbalist healers and shamans if you would. Yeah, a great many and they often inform me greatly when, you know, wherever I am. If I'm in, well, let's say Malaysia, I want to meet with a traditional BOMO, you know, their particular traditional healer. If I'm in, uh, gee, if I'm in China, different parts of China, I want to meet with acupuncturists, herbalists, South America, meeting with shamans constantly. Yeah. And these people, they carry not only the traditional knowledge, but they also use these things. So they're getting real time, real world experience with people, much the way doctors do in their practices. And so I find it essential to learn from them. And I always seem to be in their company when I do my projects. Fantastic. So I'm really curious about your experience with the Amazon shamans. Do you primarily go down to Peru? I do. I started out, however, in Brazil. My first experience in the Amazon was living with uh, natives on the Amazon River in Brazil for a month. And that was a it was a staggering introduction to the rainforest and native people who live there. And so I did that a few times, actually, in Brazil and then shifted to Peru because I initially went to Peru to do some work in the Andes with Maca and wound up going down to the Amazon a few times. And that has turned into I oh, probably 35 times now. And I, I'm going, I mean, I'm thing going down there. So I'm often with traditional healers. I'm in traditional villages on a regular basis. I usually can catch an ayahuasca ceremony or two, you know, at the tail end of a project. I'll, I'll contact one of the shamans I know and say, hey, listen, can I, you know, can I come drink, you know, tomorrow night? And they're, yeah, 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 sure, no problem. Come, we got room. That's sort of how it goes. So it's a very, you know, my client pay for all of this and they all know that I do this. I mean, and they go, well, you know, okay, that's Chris and you know, that's what he does. Okay, that's you know, cool. The work's good. So they don't really care that I'm down there drinking ayahuasca. And it's just this interesting thing that we're seeing now, this tidal surge of people from all over the world going down to Ecuador and Colombia and, and Brazil, but especially Peru and drinking ayahuasca by the tens of thousands. We This is the probably, with the exception of how readily LSD was taken up during a certain period in the 60s, we've never seen, we've certainly never seen this with any traditional medicine, such a gigantic, you know, psychoactive one, such a gigantic explosion all at once. I mean, there are many, many hundreds of millions of people smoking cannabis and using it in different ways, but that has grown steadily over time, whereas this is like a flash bomb going off. I mean, ayahuasca was not on people's lips for the most part 10 years ago, except for the cognoscenti. You know, I mean, I knew about it in the 70s, but, you know, I didn't get to drink for a long time. And then so, flash forward to now, and here is a video with you on businessinsider.com. Oh, you know, <laughs> I, I am so... Well, see, okay, here, here's the thing, Lorna. Um, with that, and also I will want to mention my book, but I am doing a lot of media. I'm on Fox News. Fox, as in like that Fox News. In a hundred countries, I get millions of hits on my articles that are every week, and I get to talk about natural medicines, and I do a lot of stuff on psychoactive plants. And yeah, it seems like an odd home, but I'm reaching the non-converted. I love the converted. I love the tribe. I love the, our people, if you will, you know, the people we sit in ceremony with, the people we run into in the cafes, in the funky places, way out on the hippie trail, all of those. But there are so many people who aren't that yet, and I'm going after them. So Business Insider, I mean, I can imagine some investors got up the other day and they looked at that and they said, I wonder if I should invest or, or put this ayahuasca in my portfolio. Yeah, man, you definitely should put this in your
your portfolio, but not the way you're thinking, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Or at least drink it and come up with some, you know, real game changing tech innovation solution to a major climate change. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I'd love to hear how ayahuasca has actually impacted your life and how it influences or inspired you to write this book, uh, the Ayahuasca Test Pilot Guide, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it's called the Ayahuasca Test Pilot's Handbook, The Essential Guide to Ayahuasca Journey. And and yeah, I'll give you the backstory on this. I've been drinking for about eight years now. So, you know, many people have been drinking for longer, you know, whatever. But I went down initially to be healed of grief over my mother's death and the grief had gone on way too long. And the very first night in my very first ceremony, that was resolved completely. And that was amazing to me. And the next night I spent, you know, pretty much the whole night having energy pounded into my chest by a gigantic luminous psychedelic anaconda that hovered over me the whole night, taunting me and just like smashing the hell out of my ribs. Okay, I thought I was going to have, really thought I was going to have busted ribs the next morning. I was so surprised that I was okay. And, uh, you know, over time, I've had extraordinary healings. But very early on, I started bringing people down to Peru. I came back and I said, hey, listen, there's this experience you've got to go have. Come have it with me. And very shortly after I started drinking, I brought my wife Zoe down and she wasn't going to drink. And I was like, that's cool. No problem. You know, I mean, I would never want somebody to drink if they don't want to drink. And of course, she wound up doing three ceremonies with nobody putting pressure, just the fascination of, oh my God, I'm in this place. There's this medicine. Everybody's having these experiences. I want to be part of that. And so over time, in the course of these years of drinking, and now with about, I'm, I don't know, 35 or more different shamans, you know, many at lodges, but it's like some, you know, in the guy's like chicken shed, you know, up by a swamp. I mean, you know, all different kinds of places and talking with now probably a couple thousand people about ayahuasca because ayahuasca really engenders a lot of conversation. You know how it is. People talk about their experiences and healing and there's a lot of thought and speculation. And so it's a very conversation heavy scene. And it occurred to me that it would be wonderful to write a useful guide that would help people to know, you know, what is ayahuasca? What are shamans? What are ceremonies? What are ayahuasca ceremonies? What the heck happens? You know, how's this stuff made? What's in it? What's the history? What's the legend, the lore? What are the healing dimensions of ayahuasca? What are some spiritual dimensions of ayahuasca? Some of the things about the technology of it, you know, in terms of what's going on in the brain and some people's theories about that. So basically, the ayahuasca test is a a guide, a basic guide, a basic handbook. You read this, you'll get an understanding of what this thing is if you're just embarking on it for your first time. Or in the case of many, many seasoned drinkers who've already read the book, they've said, oh, you know, you know, I learned a lot of stuff here. And gee, I want to recommend this to anybody new. So that it's really intended to kind of fulfill that niche in, in the scene and be that service. I think that's absolutely needed because, you know, I've read a lot of books about ayahuasca and like some of these books get really heavy into the pharmacology of it and like the traditional, the history and uh, others are like psychedelic uh, memoirs, so to speak. And so it's really kind of nice to have a book that just orients you like, you know, what is going on? Like, how do I have the best experience? But sometimes a lot of the shamans that are holding ceremonies, they're not going to sit down and orient the attendees. They may not be, you know, speak very good English. So it's really good to have some type of at least backstory to kind of understand what you're getting into. Yeah, I you know, you're exactly right. And, you know, there are some lodges, for example, I mean, I think, you know, Blue Morpho comes to mind, but there are others. There are some lodges where when you go to them, I think Temple of the Way of Light does this as well, you get an orientation. Okay, so like, here's the basic download on what goes on here, that kind of thing. And I think it's extremely extremely helpful, but I would agree.
agree that at this point in time, for the most part, if you go to a place for ceremony, it's more likely that there won't be some sort of an orientation and that just at a certain time of night, you'll be advised to sit down and grab the glass and drink and then fasten your seatbelt. Yeah, I would say, especially if you're drinking with the tribes, that's pretty much how it's going to be. It's yeah. not going to be very well structured. There may not be anyone who is going to even tell you what's going on. Certainly the tribal right. elders and healers, they are unfamiliar with our Western neuroses and all the pharmacological, all the drugs that, you know, have emerged yeah. in the market to address those neuroses or, you know, mental imbalances that actually can be contradictive ayahuasca drinking. So that can be yes. really dangerous too, but they don't know because it's completely foreign to their world. Yeah, that's definitely the case. And there are obviously right now we're learning to weave the most of us with North Americans or Europeans or Asians, you know, coming in from different parts of the world, going to these centers. Some of these centers have a lot of Russians going through them. I've seen a lot of that. And so there's a lot going on right now. Like, how do you help? I mean, I know, you know, sometimes people go down with folks who are familiar with the scene, but a lot of people just kind of show up with their backpack on and wind up in a maloka the next night and drinking ayahuasca and then eventually, like hours later, turning to the person on the mat beside them and go, what the hell was that? <laughs> so results vary. Results vary. <laughs> yeah, I, it's true. Yeah. Definitely. And there's, you know, even some cases that I've heard, you know, especially the one um, fairly recently where there was the young British kid that died in ceremony in Colombia. So what are the risks of just going down there not knowing what you're getting into? Well, I think that there are some risks, especially, you see, in Colombia and also in the case of Kyle Nolan, who died at Chimbre outside of Puerto Maldonado in Peru and who was buried and then the shaman denied that he'd ever seen him. It was a whole great... In both cases, the shamans use toe. They use rugmansia, which is an, an added material to the ayahuasca. Is that the that same is, as Datura? It is the same as Datura, though the blossoms are bigger. But the compounds are the same, and the physical appearance of the plant is very much the same. They used to be considered the same family. Now they're not. But in any case, Colombia is the home of Toe shamanism. That's where it's most heavily consumed and used. And Toe is in over a certain concentration. It's a deadly toxic stuff. It'll kill you. It can be used as an agent of murder. And we don't have samples of what these people who died took. But I suspect in one case, because I know the shaman who in whose hands the kid died and then was subsequently, I, I met this guy. And in the case, and I know that he was a Toei shaman because we talked about it. And in, in, in Colombia, I know this to be so, I think that these were probably Toei poisoning cases and not that the ayahuasca, Banisteriopsis copy, the vine, and Chacruna, Psychotria viridis, the leaf, together, that was probably not the cause. And I admit I have no evidence to back this up, but if you look at the use of these plants among the, these people, it's a pretty reasonable conclusion. Interesting. Do you address any of these considerations in your book? Yeah, I address them all, actually. Okay. Everything from how your need to find your dose, going to shamans who are have good reputations and very well trained and don't have any history, known history of sexual molestation or any of that stuff because there are a few people out there who have some problems who are looking monies. But yeah, I really want people to be able to read this and go out, yeah, okay, you know, I probably don't want to start, at least don't want to start out drinking ayahuasca that's got toe in it. See, I don't think it's that good an idea myself. I've done it many times. I, I don't think it's a good idea. And just safe, basic practices and then also how to integrate this and how ayahuasca is simultaneously a medicine that this addresses something you asked earlier. How is this 
particular medicine, ayahuasca, in my life and in other people's lives, helping to address some major global problems. We certainly have a major global problem with pharmaceutical poisoning of the general population. We do have this. This is a real thing. And now it's affecting public water supplies. You know, they're full of drugs. We're drinking Viagra and Clonopin and all kinds of stuff in water systems all over the world now. So the spirituality and the beauty of ayahuasca is that on the one hand, it is the broadest and most profound healing substance I've ever encountered or heard of in my life. And I work in this field. And secondly, it takes people completely out of the conventional spiritual model, which is you sit and somebody tells you about somebody 2000 years ago who had a vision. Moses saw a burning bush. You're going to see a burning bush in the first 15 minutes of your first ceremony. And then you may see entire civilizations rise and fall. And God may come and sit down in front of you and say, how's it going tonight? Talk to me. Let's have a conversation here. And so what happens is people have this revolution in their, I'm not just hearing about this. This isn't something from the dust of time. This is a right here, right now, palpable, full on, you know, 50,000 watt God experience. Yeah, I'm all in. And so we're simultaneously in addition to revolutionizing medicine, in some corners anyway, also revolutionizing religion, religion literally meaning remembrance of spirit. We're having spirit encounters, and that's this inexhaustible treasure trove of extraordinary goodness and life-imbuing joy and compassion and connectivity, and that has huge effects in people's behavior. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that it's going to correct all of our personality disorders all at once, but over time, it certainly does a good scrubbing down of them. One of the things that I like about ayahuasca is that it has very much a feeling that there is a wise presence that is teaching you. And sure. that's why they re- the natives refer to ayahuasca as a plant teacher. And I right. think that some of the entheogenic agents out there that were made in labs like MDMA or LSD, they don't seem to have that type of instructional guiding sentience associated with them. And I'm kind of curious to know, have you ever done LSD and what would your take be on the difference between ayahuasca and LSD? Well, okay, in answer to the first question, a long, long time ago, now we're talking the late 60s and the very early 70s, I took LSD 140 times. (laughs) So I had remarkable experiences with LSD. I also did the tail end of it, did it concurrently with meditation and yoga, which was really interesting. Eventually, gave it up because I felt that there was nothing more to learn from it. I can't thank LSD enough for what it did for most of the people I knew at the time. It turned us on to natural living. It really did. It was the catalytic age and they just went, we are just kind of like went, sort of this brilliant light bulb went on. I think as a time during that period and into the early 70s, it was astonishing. It was really, really brilliant. But I would say that ayahuasca, I mean, you can have some absolute screaming abyss trips on LSD. There's no question about it. I don't want to suggest that it's some sort of minor league thing. I mean, it's a bobsled, you know, but ayahuasca is still of a whole greater order of magnitude. There's a thoroughness there's a complete immersion. And I also experience, as, as the shamans talk about, that this is a conscious living spirit that there is a real entity here, which is not the case with LSD, which is not the case with synthesized psilocybin or synthesized mescaline versus peyote in the case of mescaline and the mushrooms in the case of psilocybin, that these derive from real work. And that is not a metaphor. I'm being very clear. This is not a metaphor. So my take is that the reason that there is such brilliant healing and realizations that's thorough and that's an inexhaustible well with ayahuasca is that this is a conscious being. And so what is your take on this tidal wave of people being introduced to the plant medicine? Is it a good thing or not so good thing? Because I heard from another ethnobotanist, actually Mark Plotkin, who was saying to me that ayahuasca and chacruna are being depleted from the jungle. And granted, you have villages that are growing uh, the 
these plants, but you know, I'm kind of curious what the pros and cons are of this sudden resurgence of interest in this plant medicine tradition. Well, I think, I mean, Mark is very astute. I like his work a lot. I think that we do certainly need to be conscious of and working with cultivation of both coffee and chikrun. I think that's a necessity. And I see that happening out there, but it probably could happen more because the crowds are just growing and growing and growing. So I think that Mark's observation is real. On the other hand, all of the centers are still getting enough vine and chikruna, and that tells me that there are more and more and more people growing this stuff. But yes, more cultivation would be a good idea, and I'm sure they're very, very quick to leap on trends down there from a growing standpoint. I'm sure that there's an enormous amount of cultivation underway right now. I'll be down there in a few weeks. I'll be in some native villages. I'll ask around, and I'm sure I'll be led into some gardens of this stuff, as I have been previously so far. In terms of is this good thing, I think that for the greatest number of people, uh, this is a miracle. There are people who suffer. As soon as I drank, I started bringing people down. And I've had friends, you know, I had a friend I brought down. He had chronic fatigue for four and a half years after two nights of drinking ayahuasca. He didn't have chronic fatigue anymore and it never came back. And that was over six years, seven years ago. Brought another friend down. He'd been addicted to antidepressant drugs for 30 years. He hasn't touched an antidepressant drug in almost four years. He's fine. He's still disorders or trauma, sexual abuse, you know, all the things that can derail us in our lives. We see a lot of people getting resolution and then going further and also having really integrative spiritual experiences. So while there always will be psychedelic casualties, there will be imbalanced people who engage with any psychoactive agent, cannabis, mushrooms, peyote, or ayahuasca, but obviously ayahuasca being more extreme, their people are going to go off the boards. They always do. There's always somebody who will. I mean, I've seen some pretty wild stuff over the last few years. You know, one Russian guy stripped down to his jockey shorts and did muscle poses in the middle of the maloka all night long, and nobody could stop him because he was this, like, powerful, muscular guy. (laughs) Oh, please, no, man, go back. your mat but he was turned absolutely stark raving batshit crazy and deca guy in ceremony and it took six guys to bring this guy to the ground tie him up and hose him off for hours those are the extremes but they will happen but for the most people this is a phenomenal thing and also something else that's marvelous and i'm sure mark would probably agree with this shamanism has been a dying trade if you will and it's not just a trade obviously shamans have played important roles you know at least as pharmacologists and doctors and healers in their villages and usually more than that and this surge in interest in and demand for ayahuasca shamanism is now actually expanding once again surprisingly something that was contracting terribly it's often been said that when a shaman dies it's like losing an encyclopedia so oddly a stampede of gringos down to south what when a shaman dies it's like losing an encyclopedia did you say yeah i agree but if you can now we're seeing more people sticking around instead of going and becoming taxi drivers in Lima they're staying in the forest and learning shamanism and learning plant medicines and so for the first time in a long 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 time there are more shamans that's pretty good that's a good thing that bodes well for the future yeah Love this episode? You can receive the transcript for free by simply texting Entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. All you need to do is to reply to the SMS message with your best email address, and we'll send you the transcript and our guide to navigating visionary states for free as a VIP citizen of Entheonation. You know, I had an 
another conversation with Susanna Bustos, who is the wife of Robert Kindle, whose second chapter of his then unpublished book, The Jaguar That Roams a Mind, opened up a whole world of experiences for me with the Kashinawa tribe of Brazil. And I've been going back there since for the past 10 years. And I would say I have lifelong friendships with them. And it's interesting. So she was saying too, that she's seeing a resurgence of vegetalismo in terms of like more people being willing to stick around and learn how to practice uh, yeah. traditional healing with different plants, you know, not just the psychoactive ones. And then what I've also seen too, personally right. in Brazil, after 500 years of persecution and just horrible, you know, from like just genocide to enslavement on the rubber plantations, this whole international ayahuasca movement is actually creating a cultural renaissance in among yes. tribes in Brazil. And it's just a yeah. wonderful thing to see these tribes are reclaiming their heritage, trying to learn their songs again. This one tribe that I spent time yeah. with, the Kuntanawas, they lost their language. So what they did was mm. they invited the other tribes in the Pano linguistic group to come and participate in these cultural exchanges. And then they're trying to learn their language and their culture back from these other tribes that actually never didn't lose it to the degree that they uh. did. And so it's just been a wonderful thing to see the healing that comes to these communities. Like one community, the Puyanawa, the, the son of the chief and he's actually like now the chief right now but he he was like the, no no he's the son of the pastor who was also the chief and then he was also the pastor so he was like evangelical and at one point because his daughter really needed healing he turned and went back to the uh, traditional ways and actually invited in the Ashaninkas mm. to teach them how to work with the plants okay. so he brought back their ceremonies like they now have them like twice a week and then basically about 60% of the church of the evangelical church just gave up Christianity and went over and now they're like practicing their ayahuasca, their, you know, bi-weekly ayahuasca ceremonies and singing their traditional songs. So it's a wonderful thing sure. to see. Even, you know, sure. So I did want to bring this up... This is mostly very, very positive. Yeah. So I did want to bring up something that you mentioned earlier which was, okay, having to find the good shamans, the shamans that are not womanizers or going to hit on the women or, you know, do any sketchy brujeria stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I've seen just that I've thought of having seen so much sketchiness go on in, in the Amazon and shady shamans, it would be such a great thing if there could be some type of ayahuasca shamanic Hippocratic oath that the shamans take or the centers mm. take. And I understand that it's a very complex issue that's very difficult to enforce. But when I came across an organization called the Ethno Botanical Stewardship Council, it sounded like like that was, you know, kind of like what they were going towards. You know, however, there's a lot of controversy over their operations or over their mission. So I'd love to ask you about what your thoughts are on the ESC and, you know, what the controversy is all about. Yeah. Okay. I actually, for the briefest possible period of time, was on the ESC board. And I left basically because I disagreed with its pretty much its premise. It's a great, great name. I do want to say it's a wonderful name. Ethnobotanical Stewardship Council sounds credible and thoughtful and very much oriented toward the protection of the environment. And it's a beautiful name. The concern that I have is that, you know, without just getting too personal, is that on my experience is that it was founded on an utter lack of knowledge of the scene of ayahuasca, of shamanism, that it was a somewhat messianic reaction to a first time drinking vision, which has happened to a lot of people. A lot, a lot, a lot of people, you know, go out after their first ceremony and they, they met with the Iowa for, you know, this happens. But in any case, any attempt to, I mean, they really want uh, shamans and shamanic centers to participate as paying certified members in a approval scheme according to practices and principles drawn up by the Ethnobotanical Stewardship Council itself, which doesn't, by the way, have any ethnobotanists on on it and has no native people and has no shamans and was not founded on any relationship with any of those people. So I am, as it turns out, somewhat sadly, because it's a horrific waste of time, I'm a vociferous opponent of the ESC, in my opinion. And I say this with no anger or hostility, is that it should either be completely dismantled down to the last toothpick and twig, or they should gut any notion whatsoever 
favor of approving rate charge membership fees from or for or in any way being the arbiters of good shamanic practices overseeing the centers or the shamans in the Amazon. They have no business doing that, no experience doing that. These are This is not coming from people who've worked down there for 15 years and lived with native folks and spent time with shamans and drunk a lot and seen things that could be corrected and been asked to help. Nobody asked for this. So that's probably the harshest opinion you'll get on ESC, but I don't think it's a worthy thing. I think it's demeaning and imperious and insulting to the traditional knowledge of the shamans for the most part are multi-generational healers. You know, I learned from my father who learned from his mother, who learned from her grandfather, who learned from, you know, his, and it goes on and on and on and on and on like that. And you don't drink once and decide you're going to be the visionary defender and protector of ayahuasca and then go raging around trying to start a scheme that approves shamans and sent. Wow. So, you know, is there, do you think there's anything that they could do to actually, you know, make their work, I guess, more valuable to all its constituents, I guess, to actually be the Ethnobotanical Stewardship Council? Well, they could steward ethnobotany for a start. I mean, but that that's like not an organization building activity. I would, I mean, if it were me and it's not, and nobody's asked other than you, I would focus on exactly what you brought up and what Mark brought up. If in fact there's potential for diminished supplies of Banisteriopsis copy and Psychotria viridis, then it makes a lot of sense to work with all kinds of entities, you know, forestry experts, etc., to generate the cultivation of these things so that we cultural economies. That would be a very worthy thing. But rating and approving shamans, I mean, that's just not, that's not legitimate to me mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, you know, I will be honest in that at one point in my like journey with this plant medicine tradition, I kind of wondered, would it be possible to have some type of rating system? Because, you know, there's some shamans and I mean, how would you know exactly whether or not you've got a sketchy shaman that's going to hit on you if you're alone and female? And so, you know, could there be a way to like have some type of user generated crowdsource platform that says, okay, this shaman's legit and this center is legit or, but then when I think of, I mean, you know, being a business person, I like to think about execution. How easy is it to pull off this concept? And it seems incredibly difficult because, you know, some of these retreat centers, they don't necessarily work with the same shaman all the time. And then secondly, like how would you regulate Rujeria as well? Like it's all happening in like the unseen world. You don't know if someone's like throwing a hex on you 50 kilometers away or shot some energetic arrows at you you don't know so it's hard to regulate well i think that regulating is not necessary i think that communicating is and i think a lot of it's happening on the ayahuasca forums and certainly more could in terms of rating you know i i remember i used to drive across country using the rand mcnally road atlases and the camping guides. And you could look up a park, for example, that was 100 miles away, and it would say it has showers, electricity, water, whatever, or it didn't have any of those things. For somebody to do a sort of a travel guide, kind of, yeah, you know, this lodge has whatever, you know, no showers, no toilets. Yeah, that'd be fine. There's a be fine, hole but, you know, the toilet. <laughs> no hot showers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These people compost. I mean, whatever. But that's a different thing. That's a different thing. I also believe that ayahuasca, the nature of it is not about centralization and control and regulation. It's about expansion. And if many, many people communicate what to look for, I mean, I do so in my new book and and I'm not alone in that. Lots of people are communicating very well what to look for. Don't just walk up to any person who's got a stick of mapacho and and some sketchy looking fluid in a plastic bottle and say, let's do ceremony. I mean, do your homework, find out who's good and ask more than one person and find out if anybody's had, you know, if there've been any reports of the person, you know, going after sex or that actually can be found out 
fairly quickly. So part of it is that people as uh, prospective journeyers also need to be savvy the way they would be. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to reduce it to this, but the way that if they were going to go buy an expensive TV, okay, you know, find out the features. How's the warranty? I mean, find out the features of this shaman. Is this sketchy person who was to- like totally unknown until a month ago and then all of a sudden, you know, started doing ceremonies out of a little hut? Is this somebody who's highly experienced and very well regarded and there are no scandals surrounding them? We have to find find out these things, but I am vociferously against an approval system of any kind because we have no business approving the native traditions. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think one of the challenges that arises that maybe, you know, this whole system was intending to address is how to really know beyond the rumor mill. So, you know, with the case of like a television, you could kind of do look in Amazon.com, look at the user reviews and, you know, do a little, you know, more you know, research on Google and stuff like that. But I think like when I think of the case of a particular Peruvian shaman who's actually really well known, he's almost like a rock star shaman. He travels around the world, makes a lot of money holding ceremonies. I had a very weird experience. Um, I drank. I drank with him for. I'm sorry. I drank with him 45 times. I know who you're talking about. Okay, all right. Yeah. So I'm not going to mention any names here, but I did have an experience, and it was entirely energetic nope. of spirits coming out of a portal the day after the ceremony was over and taking my energy without my permission. So that was totally weird. And I couldn't mm. get anyone, I couldn't reach the shaman. I couldn't reach the organizer of that ceremony was really just offering her house. So she wasn't even in a position to deal with this. And later on, I had heard that, you know, the shaman also had some history with women, like a bit nefarious history with women. And at the same time, I know some people that swear by the shaman. So it's a bit mm-hmm. of a mixed bag. It's like, who do you trust? Like the people that I know that swear by the shaman are men. Right. Uh, the people that I've heard of having weird experiences are women. So what do you do? Like, you know, unless you're plugged into the community and know how to like ask and, you know, kind of tie into the rumor mill and, you know, talk to people, it might be very difficult to come up with verifiable data. Well, okay. I kind of agree with all points of view, actually, on this one. I mean, I know who you're talking about. And I had, I will say that he is an individual of staggering shamanic talent, which is one of the reasons he gets away with what he does, because he is so extraordinarily capable in ceremony. It's actually just downright shocking. Doesn't mean everybody has a good experience. Obviously, you having the experience of your energy being taken away, that's not a good experience. But many of us who drank with him for years, who haven't drunk with him for years now, exactly because of the difficulties that he has. But And his center is faltering and all of that. And I wish him no ill because I certainly benefited in extraordinary ways. I said, you know, I drank with him like 45 times. But if you go to Iquitos and you talk with more than two people, you will readily get that information. The greatest majority of people, if you mention his name, they will go, oh, no, no, you know, we don't recommend that anymore. So, and these things are difficult because people's, I mean, you have to be sure and all of that, but there are enough good people offering ceremonies, especially in the Iquitos area, that if you go to a couple of the the predictable restaurants and you ask more than a few people, you're likely to get good information that I think can keep most people on a good course. Fantastic. So we are coming to the end of our segment here and I have really appreciated this insightful conversation. Thank you so much. So I want to leave you with the last couple. Thank you, Lorna. This is my favorite question to ask, Chris. What is the most far out experience you've had drinking ayahuasca? The most far out experience I've had drinking ayahuasca probably was the experience I had the second night that I drank when I was approached by approached and overwhelmed by a gigantic anaconda a huge and immense anaconda brilliantly psychedelic with that geometric matrix that is so part of the Shipibo tradition and the Ashanika too and it hovered over me for hours energy and taunting me and it was hilarious it was just hilarious it was so overpowering and it would go so do you think you can sit up and I go no no way and it was ah, 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 ah. 
just beating the hell out of me with this energy for hours. And then I went up to the shaman in question, and actually, the, who called, and my entire body was on fire, and my back was exploding with light, and everybody in the whole malak was conscious. The shaman in question was just all like billions of points of light and these energy grids and just... And that was probably, probably among many, many, many outlandish nights and being swallowed by snakes and having snakes go in my nose to eat up dark matter in my body and crystal skulls vomiting jewels down my throat, the whole nine yards. I would probably rate that night as the craziest, most rock and roll ayahuasca night of my life. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. That's amazing. So another question for you. What does it mean to you to evolve as a human being? And especially through tapping into the power of these visionary experiences, how can we use these visionary experiences to evolve as human beings? That's my question. I think it means to evolve as a human being is to be increasingly immersed in love. I think that it's funny. I had had a funny experience years ago when I asked the ayahuasca to show me my spirit allies and Anyway, I wound up completely immersed in love. And a couple of times the ayahuasca came to me in, in the middle of this immersion and said, would you like to see your spirit allies now? And I don't know, go, go away. I'm having, I'm just like, I'm in this ocean of love, you know, and this happened several times. And finally I said, no, I don't want to see my spirit allies. The whole, this is the end of the line. This is as good as it gets. And the ayahuasca went, good choice. And that was it. I think what it means to evolve is to be more and more and more infused with an, an emissary of love. And I think that ayahuasca experience, if you if you drink, you're going to find yourself totally and completely immersed in love and gratitude and sending out love to the unlikeliest people that you've encountered in your life and just doing so with genuine compassion and appreciation and best wishes. And this is the real promise of this stuff. It's not to be able to say, yeah, man, you know, I whatever I was on a golden ship with, you know, parrots that spoke Spanish, but to say, yes, you know, I get that the only worthy thing is love. So how do I engage in the world in a way that is most in that spirit? Thank you so much for sharing that. How can we best stay in touch with you, Chris? You can go to my website, medicinehunter.com, which my wife Zoe has loved this amount of stuff all the time, but it would just be like a, a sort of a wake behind me, but she has made a beautiful site. So medicinehunter.com and there's contact information there. And I would also say that if you want to know more about ayahuasca, pick up the ayahuasca test pilots handbook. It's available basically wherever books are sold. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And you have a beautiful evening. Thank you, Luna. I would love to have a job like Chris, as long as I didn't have to deal with leeches, bot flies, or anything else I would want to suck my blood or eat me from the inside out. If you enjoyed this episode, please share entheonation.com slash 12 with your Facebook friends. If you like the show, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review Entheonation in iTunes. This increases our visibility and helps this life-changing information reach more people in the world who need it. You can get access to our transcript library by texting Entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. Just reply to the SMS with your best email and never miss an episode. And now I'm going to leave you with the track Pasha Duma Pa'e from my friends Amazon Ensemble, a Brazilian and Norwegian group that is really taking traditional Kashinawa chants to a whole new level.
Seren, 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 seren. Puxarei, puxarei, puxarei. Ha, 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 ha,